Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Today, we're going to talk with Jerry Wolf. He has over 15 years of personal training and bodywork experience with a degree from Brown University. He's a biohacker, XPT certified, and is currently working to open Bionic, a Los Angeles-based recovery tech facility. So tell us, Jerry, I mean, you've had so many years of biohacking, training clients, and we're going to talk about all of that, but how did you even get into it? How, what, what interested you in health and fitness? Having grown up playing a ton of sports, uh, I was always a pretty active guy and loved to do what I could to train to make myself better away from games and away from practice and stuff like that. So I was um, always kind of self-motivated. Plus, uh, girls always seem to be way more interested in a guy who is <laughs> in better shape. And so that, you know, was his own motivator. It, its own yeah, young man motivation. Um, but then it was after high school, I had to take a year off before I went to college so that I could uh, save money and uh helped to be able to pay for school. And I was working at a gym and I was looking at uh, trainers working around the gym who weren't doing anything especially remarkable and in some cases uh, kind of antagonistic to their clients. And they were getting paid five, six times as much as I was. And I uh, was thinking, I was like, wow, uh, that's just like, I feel like I could jump in right now and help that person more than uh, that trainer can. And I can't believe the, the, the difference in our pay scales right now. So I, I got certified as a trainer uh, when I was 18. and um, Wow, that's really young. Super young. And I'm really glad that I did because it's just been this fantastic um, part-time pursuit that then grew into full-time uh, that gave me a bunch of flexibility. And also a big part of how I got involved is both my parents um, are super active. I mean, my dad is country strong, grew up playing a ton of sports and uh, ro- doing rodeo and <laughs> basically a bunch of like yard work, you know, cutting down trees and throwing chainsaws and, you know, all that fun stuff that uh, men from Oklahoma and South Dakota do. But then uh, my mom being uh, an actor and working as a, like an aerobics instructor and then doing uh, dance for years, um, both of my parents were just kind of very casually, regularly active. And then when you grow up in Southern California, um, it kind of just becomes second nature. So it was a number of these influences that just made it all kind of, um, a way of life to step into and uh, also just a, a way to go have fun. And so that, that's really kind of how I got into it. You know, it's kind of funny. I, I feel like the saying in Hawaii that I'm about to tell you is kind of, you can apply to places like Southern California or Malibu, which is if you're not tired by 10 o'clock, you fucked up. For real. Right? Uh, like, cause it's so beautiful here. Like it just becomes part of your life. And I wasn't like that before I moved to California. California is just, it's where it's at. And then everyone around you and everyone's active and no one's hanging out. There's no, there's no, people are like, wow, everything closes here early. You can't get, go to a bar till 4 a.m. like you can in New York or whatever. I mean, it's. But you can try. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I did as, as a young man for, you know, enough uh, times. For, but the thing was, is that, uh, especially since my parents weren't from Southern California and I was the first one from here, uh, I didn't necessarily grow up with them having their own kind of California flow. They just were in their own kind of active flow. But then the more I grew up, uh, matured a little bit, spent more time around friends, made new friends. Uh, I was able to kind of tap into that, like that lifestyle. That's very much more authentically Southern California that uh, has to do with just kind of being active outside, uh, whether it's playing pickup sports or 
doing individual things in the mountains or out on the ocean um, or at the beach. Uh, that was something that it just kind of, if you're it. open to it, it will find its way into you because it's so remarkable about where we live. Absolutely. Yeah. Tell us a little bit. I know that you are a proponent and, and believe it in for yourself, the blood type diet and your type O, which is a pretty primal blood type, right? Tell us a little bit about that. Like, how did you come across that and, 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 and go, this is for me? Similar to getting into just exercise and training, uh, it had to do with sports for me. Uh, I really was trying to very seriously pursue being a, a professional athlete, specifically playing baseball. And I was working with a, a reflexologist who was helping me understand that the foods I would eat regularly was affecting my body, creating pain in my body or discomfort in my body. And that connection became really clear. I would eat something and my arm would be a lot more sore than when I abstained from that food. And I'd train the exact same way. And lo and behold, I felt stronger. And that was just a really fantastic way to illustrate food for me. And um, a guy named Carl Coffey was the reflexologist. Carl said, you know, hey, like, the Chinese aren't saying to eat for your blood type, but I have found that for the most part, blood type is a great guideline to start to figure out how to honor what your body is looking for and looking to avoid. And so that was oh, when I was 19 or 20 and I'm now 33. So it's been well over a decade and it was uh, just a because I wasn't going to go shoot something in my ass and uh, take some kind of performance enhancer. It was a, a way that I could be competitive. Uh, and you mean you're not juicing? Well, <laughs> I mean, I like my ginger and I like my, uh, no. Um, I mean, I'm laughing because I didn't, didn't Mark Sisson at some point say he felt like you might as well eat for your eye color. <laughs> for sure. I, it's, no, I'm just, I'm just bringing up. Yeah, but that's the thing though, is that it's an N equals one, right? It doesn't even matter for you. It works for some people like not eating something on the primal list works for them. Absolutely. And it, again, it's, it's a guideline. Uh, what I basically did, I came to find out years later was reduce myself to some essentials and then build out from there. And so now people are calling that the elimination diet, but it was just through my own Kind of anecdotal experimental discovery that you know, I, yeah, it was my my base, my zero to, to work out from. So you you pretty much grew up in Malibu, right? I did. I was I was born in the valley. Uh, I was born at home. Shout out to my mom for doing the home birth. Oh yeah. Um, and then we moved to Malibu, and um, I grew up here. Went to Malibu High School. Uh, I returned shortly after college. Uh, it was just uh, something about it that. I, I guess I don't know if I've romanticized it or it just really speaks to me and resonates with me. But uh, I think it's a combination of uh, the nature, of course, and the beauty, especially the mixture between the mountains and the ocean. But also um, there's something quite small town about it and at the same time sophisticated and international. So it's got all these elements that, um, man, I had to run for city council. Um, it's got, I know. I, mean, I feel like I'm like a spokesperson for Malibu because <laughs> I love it so much. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I grew up out here and uh, still work in the area. Tell us a little bit. Like, I mean, obviously, we're not asking people to do what you do, but are there now we're going to get into recovery. You're opening up a recovery gym in the future. I know that you are into red light therapy, sauna, ice therapy. Um, tell us about when you started incorporating those things. I mean, I remember it was like probably a few years ago and I knew you started on the red light, but then you later got into the ice. 
tell us about how light therapy and ice therapy and what you've noticed as far as the benefits for you. Well, uh, a big part of what I've noticed is a reduction in my my day-to-day pain. Uh, From being an athlete and from being a knucklehead, I just have collected a number of injuries over the years um, that I feel day-to-day, and especially when I wake up or when I train uh, ambitiously. And as a, let's see if we started this five, six years ago, as a 27, 28-year-old guy, uh, that's kind of when everyone starts to feel those aches and pains, but it was too early and too intense for me to feel them as much as uh, and as often as I was. Uh, so turning towards recovery work, um, all of a sudden, immediately I started to notice a reduction in my day-to-day discomfort. I also noticed uh, huge improvements in my day-to-day bounce back. Working as a trainer and just being an active guy, um, I'm, I'm pretty aware of how my weeks are structured, even how active my month is. And when I notice that, hey, when I show up to play soccer, I'm fresher in my legs. Or when I finish playing basketball, which normally beats me up because I'm not the most lateral athlete. Wow, when I do ice or sauna or red light, all of a sudden, that next day after basketball, my lateral movement isn't as restricted. And in fact, I feel like I benefited from uh, the chance to open up in those directions rather than feel like hobbled by it. So that those were real big uh obvious signs that I was onto something. How often do you do ice therapy? Is it only after like some major workout or some like major crazy three hour surf session or something <laughs> like, or is it like you do it every day? I mean, For me, uh, there's life before and after my daughter. So, uh, yes, it, JJ. It, so that, yes, everything has to do with being available for my wife and for my baby. Um, so before I was doing it often, I was doing it a lot as basically as much as uh, time would allow. Um, since, uh, my daughter was born last September. I do it as much as makes sense. I, I don't try and fight to make it in. I also try and like instinctively listen to my body because if I've had a big long day or a big long week and then it's like, oh, well, maybe I could do some ice stuff. Um, I got to recognize if that's something I feel like my body's going to enjoy or if it's really going to be taxing and be too much. Uh, also, one of the things that helps me with my cold therapy is that if I'm not jumping into the ice bath, what I am often doing is getting in the ocean, uh, whether it's to surf or swim or paddleboard or whatever, uh, in just my trunks. Uh, I wear my trunk trunks throughout the year. And it's cold as F in there. I mean, it's it's cold enough. Uh, the th- for cold therapy. Uh, for cold therapy. Because like, exactly. what is it? It's like 68 at the highest in the summer, right? So it's cold. Uh, yeah, like about. And it can drop down to like the low 50s and with mm-hmm. the wind chill. Um, if the air is also in the low fifties, you know, it's a, it's a pretty overall cold experience. And people ask me, they're like, oh man, don't you want to wear a wetsuit? How can you do that? And it's like, well, it's always cold. I'm never surprised. And, uh, if anything, it's a really great opportunity to practice like my breath control and like my, uh, try and coordinate my stress response because it's all, like I said, it's always going to be cold. So if I can still go in there and like mentally wrap my head around that, I'm still experiencing a lot of the mental benefits of cold therapy, but then also, 45 minutes to an hour and a half uh, with that kind of exposure overall is pretty cold. So it might not be five minutes at 32 or, th- or 34 degrees or even 10 minutes at 48 degrees, but it's still pretty cold. And I come out um, feeling a lot similarly to how I do when I take ice baths. So that's a long way to say my cold therapy is as often as I can make it happen. And a lot of the time it has to do with um, how much time I get to spend at the beach. 
Yeah, by the way, everyone needs to follow at Master Jerry Wolf on Instagram because he is always posting awesome photos of he and his dog. He's surfing and it's so great. You might hear a couple of them in the background. I was going to so say, it was, it was as if they knew that their cue was they were here. talking about. We're both in Malibu right now, chilling here. Um, let's talk about, you've been working with clients in Malibu for years. You've been a personal trainer. You go to people's houses. You, you know, you're at the gym with them. Um, first, you know, I'm going to ask you if you have any good celebrity Malibu stories, because I, I do. <laughs> I, I keep, um, so I want to hear yours first. But then also, what, before I get, go to that little fun tidbit of uh, information, what do you notice with clients, whether they are beginners or athletes, or is there, what's the thoroughfare of either excuses or mindset that you find you have to help change? Because look, when someone's coming to get in shape, they've got some stories built up. Right. So what are some common things you've heard, you know, that that make you go? Oh, <laughs> well, that's a that, that's a really great question. Um, I think a lot of it is people need some understanding, because regardless of if you're pursuing quality top tier performance or if you're bouncing back from injury or if you're just getting started or you're kind of uh, up in years and you're trying to just stay active. Everyone wants to feel understood with where they're at in their body. Nobody wants to feel judged. Um, so I notice that just being able to connect and share as a trainer, hey, I totally understand where you're coming from, and that makes sense to me, and here's where I think we can go next. Uh, because I could you know, break out charts and point to a blackboard and try and teach everything, but until the client makes that connection for themselves, uh, it can sometimes be tough to push them through their own growth. But by connecting with them, understanding with where they're at, and then trying to help them discover for themselves the logic of where we're going, then all of a sudden they're much more on board. They're more motivated. And yes, there are some folks that just love to be told what to do and need a drill sergeant. But for the most part, uh, what I notice with those clients is they kind of, um, they fall off just because as soon as their ability to push themselves disappears, ah, they don't have as much of a connection to like the overall process. So instead of six weeks or six months of gains and growth, we're looking at six years uh, or helping somebody who's younger think about what six decades uh, of taking care of their body could look like. And so, yeah, just getting a chance to connect with people um, really helps make the relationship a lot stronger. What's a scenario you can think of of all the people you've trained over the years and not naming names, but a scenario that was just a great 180? Mike, he went from being an ass. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> uh, a great 180, uh, definitely when people... Uh, step away from being in pain or recognize that there's certain things that they're doing that are perpetuating their discomfort because uh, by no means am I a medical professional, but a lot of the time uh, people with chronic aches and pains or conditions are diagnosed and just told to live with a condition. And that's awful because pain changes our personalities and changes our mentality. And so when I can help, uh, you know, essentially as a guy that just, more or less strategically helps people sweat uh, when, or, you know, feel strong. But when we can all of a sudden move beyond just exercise and really help address some of their problems and improve their quality of life, uh, it's when back pain goes away or when sciatica disappears or when even just a huge part of what I do is help coordinate wellness for some of my clients because through my own uh, process of trying to address my own needs. I've connected with a great team of people that I work with, whether it's for physical therapy stuff or uh, massage, chiropractics. And when me and 
who are now my friends and colleagues can help people feel better. Uh, it's awesome. They are better to their families. They're better at their jobs. They just... People are cranky when they're in pain. A hundred percent. I mean, it changes personalities. And then so to see them feel more like themselves. Um, yeah, that those 180s are the ones that uh, I just, that stand out in my mind. Uh, because it's awesome when people can fit into a dress that they've been looking for or like are running faster. But um, the ones that seem to make my clients light up the most are when they're out of pain. Um, okay, so have a little fun here for a minute. We live in Malibu when you live in Southern California and also you and I are both actors. Everyone's like, Oh, star spottings or that, you know, and you and I know so many famous people and it's like, it becomes normal. You see them all the time. Um, but do you have any, any fun or interesting little like uh, celebrity stories of your Malibu run-ins? Oh, for sure. I mean, like, um, so there's a very handsome, popular Southern general, like, am I trying to name names here? I, I don't know. Like, if you feel comfortable, you don't have to name names. I'm going to name my name. Okay, it <laughs> So, like, the gym where I used to uh, exercise and grew up, Matthew McConaughey used to work out all the time on the patio. And, like, inside the gym, uh, you have to have your shirt on. But outside in this amazing patio where you can see the mountains and the ocean, uh, you can catch some sun. And so this dude is always working out, you know, crushing it, doing pull-ups and abs and stuff and whatever else, uh, in the sun with his shirt off. And I just kind of remember looking at that and being like, word he's just like in his zone he's connecting like to the outside vibe and that kind of like helped encourage me to to be more open-minded uh in that regard and now for anyone that knows me uh they can you see always that I, have your shirt off. <laughs> yeah, they can see that i clearly connected with that and it, i mean uh, so actually i love it you're like kind of subtly inspired by matthew mcconaughey's shirtless work <laughs> yeah like a, a sweaty handsome man made me want to take off my shirt i'm just saying that out loud i now realize what that sounds i'm not really comfortable with that yeah that's okay no but it was really now i mean i have my shirt off because of vitamin d and just i think that so much of um being a healthy active person is connecting with the, like the natural world around you but uh, a big part of it too is, um, yeah, that <laughs> looking back and thinking like, wow, that is helping this guy feel in the zone. And, uh, and now you're in that same zone. Yeah, it, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure. So now I feel that zone. And then there's times when like you're surfing and like somebody whose music you grew up listening to. Uh, oh, we were talking cut, about the Beastie yeah, Boys. Cuts yeah. you off and like, you know, you forget for a second that this is like an icon and you just kind of look at him like, what the hell, dude? And then like, you're like, oh my God, that's awesome. And then you're like, oh, wait a minute. Like, I really like your music. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll let you pass. I really like it. Oh no, for sure. It's not going to pass. It's just like, I'm just not going to be as upset about it. Um, <laughs> no, not at all. And uh, I, I guess like one of my favorites too um, is just growing up in Malibu, you see a lot of people that are really successful and, and uh, famous or popular. And uh see a lot of people like kind of act goofy around them but then at the same time like it's cool when you get to see them just be people and you realize they like take like demystifies them and if anything um it almost kind of becomes important to treat them like people because in this strange way it's very similar to like um how i remember both of my parents growing up like no matter who you're talking to like show them the same amount of respect you know whether it's uh the bus boy or the housekeeper in a hotel or whoever it is that you're like fortunate to enough to come across. And so like it was growing up uh, always interesting to kind of feel this similar thing of like, you know, excited to see somebody, but then like word, let me show them the same level of respect. And like, they're still just a person and do the same thing with perfect strangers. Even, you know, when they're uh, stepping on your toes or getting on your nerves or just doing you the seemingly like kind of insignificant service. And so that was a huge uh, 
um, eye-opener for me about Malibu. Uh, was it's kind of like an unspoken rule here almost, I feel, where like a lot of, well, a lot of tourists aren't in Malibu running into celebrities, but when you see them, it's almost like this extra layer of we have to, like I would, even if I wanted to, the last thing I would do in Malibu would go up to any celebrity and ask them for a photo or anything because like this is their home. This is where they feel like they're out of the, you know, like out of, of that. And so it's almost this like extra level. My celebrity one that's hilarious, I mean, I've had a bunch of them, but the one that I'll talk about right now is hysterical. Um, I don't know what is the deal with Gary Busey, but Gary, <laughs> Gary, sure. Gary has like almost run me over in his car. This is this whole relationship with Busey extends to like, you know, 10 years ago, he lived in my neighbor in the Palestines. He almost like ran me over on a walk in his car a couple of times and then like almost hit me in his car in Santa Monica. And I kept calling my friends. I'm like, what is going on with me and Busey? And then the last time, a couple years ago, I'm in Malibu at the grocery store and I bent down in a squat to see something on the lower shelf. And I just hear you looking for something. And I look up and I stand up and it's Gary Busey. And I don't know where he literally just grabs me and lifts me up and gives me like a crazy bear hug as if like he's my uncle or my dad or something. And I was like, uh, this is wrong and weird. And so I go to the cash register. I'm like, dude, man, like Gary Busey just like. Just, just technically assaulted me. me. Technically, <laughs> and the guy goes, "Oh, Gary, that's scary." <laughs> like, like, I was just laughing. Uh, that's so. But I mean, well, I think that the common thread here Elle, is that he's trying to hit you, like in one <laughs> way or another. Like, he's after me somehow. I mean, that's one hell of a pickup line. It's like, "Oh, I'm so sorry, I almost cut you off," and you know, maybe he's just trying to to holler. But I know. That's even so if funny. it's in that incredibly backwards manner, so you know. Let's talk. About, let's talk a little bit about. Um, well, you're kind of a rarity in our country. You are Native American. That's what's up. I sure you have am. Native American, right? I'm a quarter. Okay. I'm a quarter. And tell us about that because I know you connect with your roots and you go to Oklahoma mm-hmm. on a yearly basis. Tell us about your connection. And did you always have that? Was it always fostered as a child or did you come later to it? Uh, totally. No, it was always fostered. Uh, my dad, um, among other nationalities, is uh, Osage, Cherokee, and Lakota. And... My dad looks like he's right off the nickel. He's a super chiefy guy with, you know, long hair and dark skin and big cheekbones. Um, and it, he was part of a, a movement in the late 1970s and early 1980s uh, that was a part of reclaiming our Native American spiritual practices uh, from the mid 1860s uh, to 1979. Our uh, spiritual and religious practices were actually outlawed uh, by the country as a part of wow. um, a way to further colonize us and assimilate us. And so um, a lot of these ceremonies had to survive underground. And because of that, they uh, really remained, their integrity remained, their um, like kind of cultural authenticity uh, has stayed really strong. And so dad was a part of when that became public um, or at the very least enough to be practiced underground. And so uh, I kind of grew up going to those ceremonies. Uh, Some of my earliest memories are being there, uh, those songs, and just kind of having that outlook and that uh, way of life um, imparted to me, or at the very least being exposed to it, because I certainly wasn't uh, browbeaten with it by any means, but just um, it was very matter of fact, you you know, (laughs) as simple as like you changing a flat tire, you say thank you for the food that you're eating. And, um, I didn't always have that influence around me growing up, but, uh, it kind of had this staying power, uh, that then as I grew up into a more reasoned and somewhat rational adult, um, you really see 
uh, the logic and the sensibility behind it. And uh, it's a huge guiding part of my life. What are some things that, if, you know, people out there, we don't all know too much about Native mm-hmm. American history and or, you know, this, the practices, et cetera. What are some things or tenants or things you've learned along the way you'd like us out here to know about Native American people? Whether it's some, like, really interesting ritual or a saying or a way of being that you connect with. Wow. Uh, what a question. Um, well, I think a big takeaway is that Native Americans within the United States, there are over 500 federally recognized uh, individual indigenous nations. That means that they have their own language, their own culture. Uh, they're their own nationality. Uh, so there's this huge diversity in who we are and a huge diversity in our experiences. Uh, so that would be one thing that I would point out. Another thing is that um, we, <laughs> we, because of that diversity of, an ex- of experiences, um, not everyone is casino rich. Uh, <laughs> casinos yeah, aren't just... necessarily a solution. Um, so, like, you know, these, these common misconceptions, uh, especially when it has to do with, like, oh, well, they might have gotten shafted, but at least they have all that casino money. Um, sometimes that's uh, doesn't get spread out evenly. Doesn't get spread out evenly, or it, it pours uh, gasoline on the fire of all of the dysfunction that arises from poverty. Right. <laughs> um, so yes, and at the same time, like the third takeaway is that there are a number of people my age and a little bit older, and as well as younger, who are now increasingly uh, multicultural and educated more formally and who are becoming very savvy and becoming um, effective agents of political and social change and influence. Um, so it's, I think we're growing in our influence and in our stature uh, from a business perspective, as well as like addressing things internally within our own communities and es- establishing how we uh, are seen and um, interact with the world around us. Yeah, and even in politics, it's getting a little bit, there's, there's more movement there. Um, I want to talk about an experience we had together, but sort of the aftermath of it. We both went through the 2018 Woolsey fire that burned 100,000 acres in Malibu. We are now standing in Mark Sisson's house that's unoccupied that we saw the fire coming down the mountain. I I showed up here at 5 a.m. that day because I was evacuating my place up the mountain. Then, long story short, we all get separated, but for the three or four days or longer after this fire, you were like Rambo. You were out roaming these mountains in Malibu. You went right, you jumped right back into the fire and we were like, what's Jerry doing? And I know you were helping and it's so awesome because you were like amateur firemen just out there just doing it. What was that experience like, man? That was trippy. That was so post-apocalyptic out there. Um, you know, you're breathing in all this crap. You're you're in danger. Tell us a, a little bit about some of the highlights, if you will, from that. That's so funny that you would say I'm like Rambo and amateur fireman in the same sentence because like, but like, are those your aspirations? No, no, it's just like, um, I mean, it it was wild. It was, uh, an experience that I learned a lot about myself and learned a lot about how to, uh, fight fire, um, as well as how to help recover in the aftermath. I mean, what was, uh, really striking was to me was how much you can actually do to be helpful when you know the steps to take. And I learned that on the fly from firemen who uh, stayed behind that were like family friends. Um, I mean, it was 
so surreal to see so much devastation and no official response to try and address it. So at one point, I mean, I'm just literally driving around with water bottles and buckets in the back of my car um, and at night and, you know, homes are burning, burning on either side. And it was, it was absolutely surreal um, in terms of stress response. Like I never noticed myself be uh, scared, but I also wasn't trying to be anybody's hero because I knew nothing about how fast fire burns and how dangerous it can be. I learned that later that night. But for example, even here at Mark's house, like <laughs> it kind of pains me. I feel like if I knew then what I learned later that night, could have stayed here and prevented you know the damage that has not created <laughs> months of work. But um, man, well, but you know what? You know, on the other side of that too. What, and the reason I brought this up is that this is something that really impresses me about you as a person, which is that it's a it's a sketchy scenario. I'm sitting here with Devin and you like from five, they were like, yep, no, it's her. We're all good. There was no freak out. You went outside, you got the water hoses. You're like, Hey, I'll do that. Devin do that. You were so calm, cool, and collected in such a sketchy scenario. It made me feel better. Hmm. It made me feel safer and better because of your demeanor, you know, versus what are we going to like freaking out or yelling at people or whatever. You were just so calm, which is really generally your nature. And is something so to be admired. I mean, you know, you might've had a little bit of fear yourself. I'm sure you were roaming around these burning hills, but like that calm energy is so needed during a crisis. Uh, wow. Well, I mean, I, that, thank you, I guess. Uh, it's cool to hear that from someone else. Um, I think actually a large part of that has to do with um, some of my relationship to my Native American community, because we do some ceremonies where sometimes uh, crazy storms come through and we're outside and uh, we have to, you know, no one's in necessarily immediate danger, but we have to move quickly. And so to just see like uh, a rational kind of organized and calm approach to triaging a situation uh, is something that I've seen. And especially the reason I kind of like in those two circumstances is because both have to do with nature and um, the confidence that comes from knowing you've said the right prayers. Uh, so sometimes like with our ceremonies, like a big storm can come through, uh, well, it could be tornadoes. It can be crazy wind, winds or rain. Um, and you just say you're right, the prayers and then go about your business. And, um, same thing with the fire. It's just like, I, you know, said the right prayers. I, I rubbed the right two sticks together and, you know, knew it that I, well, pun intended with rubbing two sticks together, but I mean, uh, <laughs> um, but like I, I felt like, um, you know, I did everything could I, I could to have to ask for the guidance I needed to best respond to the situation and to ask for the best possible outcome. Um, and so, just kind of having a little bit of faith that um, the other side is there watching my back. Uh, I don't know. I, I felt I didn't. It, it's not even control. It's just you. You you kind of connect yourself to part of like the flow of the overall process rather than thinking that, um, oh, I'm going to try and get a handle on this situation. It's like, hey, I'm just a cog in this machine. And um, so it's so funny to hear you say that you were so calm and, you know, whatever. I, it just it was such a, you know, because the thing is when someone like you is calm and controlled and also delegating and you, because you were like, you were like, hey, we need to start watering down the backyard. Like, let's do what we can do as the fire is coming towards us. 
And uh, it made me feel so much better. It made me feel like I want to stick with Jerry today because I feel safer around Jerry. <laughs> and then I got disconnected from you guys and was at PTSD for like six months. Um, well, I think that a big part of it too, if I'm going to just, because you asked me about Native Americans. So like, yeah. I'm still, I'm st- I mean, that really is a huge part of how I see the world is um, my Native American culture and identity. And so uh because there's so much I, I have so much to be grateful for in this life uh especially considering um what a dumbass i've been for you know many years in the past uh i feel so fortunate that i know um in general the kind of best way to be is of service but especially for me in particular i really feel like uh i want to do what I can to be helpful where I can, whether it's during the fire or walking back to the parking lot or, you know, in whatever moment. Cause I just think that that's a great way to be. I think for like larger social woes, that's the only way they're going to get addressed is no matter how much money we throw at things until people uh, just are, have a little bit more gratitude and a little bit more uh, sense of wanting to help. Um, we might not be able to fix things without that kind of like human effort. So for, yeah, for me, it was just, um, I know that the way that I can feel good about being in this skin is by showing up, uh, when it counts to the best of my ability. Hey, there's honestly things that more things I could have done to be helpful, um, during that time, but I got to look back on it and just know that oh, the I, fact that you even jumped I, in I, there. I did, I did the best that I could. You did, you did an amazing yeah, job. I, I, I will say that it was so nuts. It being dark, there being absolutely no emergency power, no services, phones. no power, no phones. And <laughs> because everyone was evacuated, uh, I was able to safely drive around really fast, all these neighborhoods with homes birthing. And it was just something that like you're going about, you know, ad- adrenaline is, uh, flying and you're, you're, you're going about all your to-do list and, and getting things done. But like, I just had to take a moment and just be like, remember this mental snap- snapshot because like, Hey, thankfully we've never had to be in a war and we've never, I've never had to um, overcome too much obvious adversity compared to, you know, the people, uh, the world over (laughs) that are around us. But um, to just kind of be like, wow, this is one hell of a moment. Uh, I don't even know necessarily now what, what to make of it, but to just know that it was quite the unique experience uh, is something that'll forever be with me. And also being in this house the next night after most of the fire (laughs) had passed and um, in this canyon that we're looking over here, all these houses, you know, enough of them that say half had burned down or whatever it was. And there were still open flames, open gas lines, and the winds were still up. And that there was a house just down the street that was in the midst of burning um, and just going to sleep here uh, because I just wanted to keep an eye on the place. Uh, and it was so crazy to like have open fires in this canyon below have a house burning down, down the street. Firemen were there and stuff, but to just be like, okay, cool. I'm going to grab some, you know, some Z's because we need them. Uh, yeah. That, that these were just like strange moments and so the whole time. Oh, what was really interesting. And from a health perspective is exposure to all that smoke yeah. afterwards in the next two weeks caused my, uh, the bottoms of my feet and the, uh, my hands to like callous blister and break off as if like my body was removing all of these like toxins, like out through the bottom of my feet and my hands, 
it changed the texture of my skin and then it went away. That's interesting. So when I got out of there, the first thing I did was go join some like LA fitness in Venice that had a sauna. Hmm. Cause I had been breathing in that stuff and I thought, Hey, look, this is the best I can do and take some supplements and do that. Um, I'm assuming you were just doing your sauna too, like a mofo after that. Uh, not necessarily because the sauna was here at the house and we had to be out of the house. Um, I mean, well, because the fire hit and then it was basically like two weeks of glamping of living in, um, my friend's home, uh, which is next door to mine. Devin ended up coming back with the dogs and we were, you know, cooking for the firemen that had stayed around and the other people that were there. Uh, but we still had no power and, it was kind of just uh, at that point there were looters and stuff. And uh, it was kind of just keeping an eye on things and in this, like, and, and helping with the recovery effort, there was uh, stuff coming in off of boats and the access to Malibu wasn't fluid. So supplies, like a lot of power bars and Gatorade showed up, but in terms of <laughs> hard and fast food essentials, um, people were hungry. And so what Devin and I ended up doing was, driving around to different friends or clients' houses, at, you know, with whatever cell reception we could get, calling to make sure it was cool that we went into their homes, uh, cleaned out their fridge, took whatever food was available, because all these fridges were um, starting to stink because there was no power, taking whatever frozen stuff, and just uh, setting up shop and trying to, you know, cook breakfast, lunch, and dinner for people that were continuing to fireproof homes, continuing to put out embers, or... Um, continuing to keep the neighborhood safe. I mean, because some of the firemen who stayed with us at my friend's home uh, are so experienced, what we were able to do was continue to fireproof properties that we had access to so that when the winds kicked up, even uh, a week later, there were all these precautions uh, taken so that we could, if anything were to go wrong, have the best chance to be helpful. And so even though it was days later and the fires weren't immediately burning, um, there was still a lot of stuff to do to help keep things safe. And, uh, yeah, that was a huge takeaway. So that's like the death and destruction kind of element. And then not soon afterwards, you have a baby. Totally. <laughs> so you have been, well, you are now Mark's, uh, son-in-law, but you and Devin have been together for years. I remember, you know, when you guys first met and just really wonderful, wonderful couple. And then, uh, about eight, nine months ago, you guys brought JJ into the world, the most gorgeous little baby girl. And again, man, follow Jerry on Instagram. You're going to get all the best <laughs> stories with these, the baby. Um, that was a home birth. And I was shocked when Devin told me that you had already experienced it. You witnessed the birth of your sister. I witnessed the birth of my little sister yeah, from so my stepmom. Like? Because my gosh, I mean, you know, I, I talked to Devin about her experience it's kind of harrowing. And obviously you were very comfortable with it. You'd already been through it once, but you know, Devin gave birth at home on the mm -hmm. bed with what, a doula and... Uh, with a doula and midwife. Okay. Z Tell us about that experience a little bit. I mean, maybe not the gory details. No, for sure. <laughs> I am so proud of Devin. Um, Amazing. What was really interesting to me about the home birth, about birth in general, but uh, the home birth was that everyone said, oh, when your baby's born, you're going to lay your eyes upon her and, you know, immediately you're going to be changed forever and you're never going to love anything uh, that much. And you'll just be overcome with this, this sensation. And I was, I was ready for that. I mean, like I, I really, I saw her and I was like, yep, I love you about as much as I think that I was going to, you know, I thought that I was going to, I didn't realize I was going to have 
that experience with Devin after uh, she delivered. Um, to watch her go through labor, the composure, the strength, um, the vulnerability for that matter, but also just the kind of trust in the process, um, that was remarkable. Um, and I mean, she really was absolutely a badass. And to the point where later after the birth, when we were talking with our midwives, um, one of the things they said is she was doing such a good job. We felt we didn't need to offer her as much support as we do other, other people. And, um, and I I really feel that it's this, um, really quiet, ferocious intensity that my wife has, um, that really shone through. Um, and it was beautiful. I mean, to, uh, it felt comfortable to be in our home and it, uh, felt intimate, uh, bonded us together. Both of our dogs were there. Our dog Jedi was on the bed. Um, and in a, like I was ready to move him on the floor. The midwife was like, no, it's cool. He can be up here. And, (laughs) and you know, totally now he and our daughter JJ have this, you know, cute little bond, um, where he's kind of always nuzzling up, trying to nuzzle up against her or like, uh, I can tell that they're going to be, uh, bosom buddies for years to come. Oh, that's so sweet. And yeah, your daughter is amazing. Everybody. Yeah. You post the most amazing stories with your, <laughs> that's where we go to get the intel on what's happening with your baby. Um, let's move on to talking a little bit before we get into the recovery gym, you're going to be mm-hmm. opening. It's another entire side of you and me as well that we're both actors in Hollywood, but you have been on the ABC show Card Sharks with Joe McHale. Mm-hmm. You're one of the dealers. Tell us about that experience. It's got a second season coming, right? Or uh, Well, we were in the middle of preparing for our second season right, right when Corona <laughs> shut down our production. We were going to shoot uh, the following week and production was canceled. Um, I'm not a dealer. I just play one on TV. Uh it's a card game show. And so basically uh, it's a classic um, that ABC has brought back. It's uh, had many different versions and it's a really fun show. Um, what I really like about it is that the people win a lot of money and that's exciting to see in person or on TV, no matter kind of what the circumstances are, but to be a part of the process, to be the goofball flipping the card over and to like, share in that excitement and the, the build of that tension and stuff it is super fun. And, uh, I mean, I have been working within entertainment for the past 10 years and I've you know, had a number of different jobs. And what was really cool about card sharks was it was the, like the nicest group of people by far I've ever worked with on the entirety of the set in all departments. And, um, yeah, it was super cool. I remember being broke biking by that studio, uh, thinking, ah, oh, one day I hope to work there. And then it was so cool to pull into that lot with, you know, get my name printed on a guest pass and um, get to be, you know, put in my wardrobe and, and work, in fact, on that stage. So it was it's a, so much fun. Yeah, it's and like I pay somebody, let's say I think it's like it breaks down to like 85 bucks an, once a week to go to a dingy theater uh, to wait several hours to get a chance to work for maybe 20 or 30 minutes to get really critiqued on my performance in an acting class. And I enjoy that process. In this instance, I was catered to being paid, you know, handsomely dressed sharply on a fantastic stage with a huge shiny budget with a studio audience of several hundred people working with an iconic professional like Joel and 
lovely other people that were like the director, Len and Alexis, my other co-dealer and our producers. It was like so much fun. It was like going to an amusement park where you get to be one of the, you know, uh, featured rides. It was just like, it was, uh, it was really great. So we can, we can still go on abc.com and probably just roll that up and watch the first season. Yeah. I, I believe so. Yes. Cool. Um, well, we'll be looking, hopefully there's going to be more bookings this year and we'll be, we'll be tweeting out some more appearances. Back to health. Mm-hmm. A couple questions before we, well, one question before we get into the bionic gym thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we know we talked a little bit about your diet and I know you like to get things from food, but you're kind of a big fan of collagen, right? That's the one supplement you sort of add regularly to your life. Definitely a big fan of collagen. Take it with me when I travel. I notice a difference immediately. As soon as I take it, I'm within, I want to say like 20 minutes, I feel so much looser. And since I started taking collagen, I feel like I've been able to recover from injuries that restricted me for years as I like essentially reclaimed mobility through increased elasticity. So, yeah, I, yeah, you know, it's not, I mean, we're standing here together, but like, and you can see my nails, like my nails are real. They're so much stronger. That's the first thing mm-hmm. I noticed was my nails. My hair grows so fast. Um, skin, I noticed it on my hands right away. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan. I know you take like 30 to 40 grams probably a day. I only do 20 just for people that are curious, guy versus girl, or probably Jerry's load of workouts heavier <laughs> than mine. Um, so with all of your experience and all of your biohacking, which you've been doing for years, mm-hmm. Now you're getting into bringing it to the world, at least starting off with Southern California. Tell us a little bit about this recovery bionic gym that you are a part of uh, putting together and opening. Right on. I'd love to. I'm really excited about this because uh, biohacking in general, like advanced recovery services, something that even five years ago was gaining its popularity and somewhat fringe, but now is increasingly popular and so much more mainstream, whether it's cold plunges or saunas or red lights or pemp therapy and all stuff. Um, if you were to ask people 10 years ago, five years ago, they'd kind of look at you a little funny, but now people are like, Oh yeah, I, I love doing it. Or my friend does it or whatever it is. And the thing about these treatments is sometimes they are hard to get access to, whether it's because the equipment is expensive, the uh, logistics of having enough space to set them up uh, is challenging. And so even if you can afford it, you know, where are you going to put it? So bionic is a facility that my partner Nick and I are going to be opening in like the Santa Monica Venice area. And what we hope to do is make recovery affordable because this is valuable, valuable to spend. It's a great way to invest your time in terms of how to take care of yourself and whether it's help you recover or promote your own longevity. But by making it affordable, we think that we can really make a dent and, and, and influence the market because all of a sudden, it, more people are going to have access to this. More people are going to benefit from it. Uh, also, by making it accessible, not just in terms of the price that we offer, but by making the technologies and how to use them uh, user-friendly, explaining them, having like a knowledgeable staff to say, okay, here's how you can structure this, or what's your week look like? Okay, well, maybe I'd uh, do red light here and cold plunge here and uh, pair that with a sauna and so on and so forth. It's going to make it so that more people can benefit and since these essentially are technologies, that's where we came up with Bionic because we're hoping that through technology, we can help make ourselves better. And like I was saying before, kind of reduce that pain and optimize our performance and get the most out of life. And wouldn't it be rad if that was affordable? And so that's what yeah, we're going for with Bionic. That stuff's not affordable now. Yeah. And so th- <clears throat> like that, that's our goal to um, really become the recovery place and to open uh, many, many more. 
uh, as we progress. What is that? I mean, so aside from the couple of things you mentioned, like you know, like a cold room or like a you know ice or sauna, is it also like a regular gym? Do I go work out and then do that stuff, or am I just going there to recover? Like, what are how does that look? Our pre-corona business model was a gym. Post-corona. Post-corona, I think, uh, among other businesses, gyms are really going to suffer. And so the logistics of opening a a gym component for the time being, uh, we've stepped away from. But ideally, it actually, that was our, like, kind of one of a a huge avenue that we were working in was how to make uh, these recovery services available with uh, a fully functional gym attached. But in the meantime, we're just going to focus on recovery. Uh, these are peculiar, tumultuous times. And so kind of essentializing our business model to organize around recovery is where we're at right now. And uh, I would love to, hopefully down the line, um, be able to add a gym element so that way we could have uh, classes and the equipment that people are looking for and offer uh, more convenience in our increasingly busy lives so that it's a one-stop shop so that you can go there to get your pump and you can go there to get fit, but you can also get your recovery services. And, uh, yeah, that, that, that hopefully is down the line and kind of our, our 2.0 vision. Where can we go to learn more about it? If we're in Southern California, we want to kind of track, you know, the progress and where can we go to find out more about it? Body by bionic.com and body by bionic.com yes. body by bionic.com and on Instagram at body by bionic. Cool. Um, that sounds exciting. And you know what? Not to rip on other things, but yeah, that stuff's way too expensive. You might, for, for the stuff that's going on now, you might as well either find a cheaper place or like, you know, what are you going to do? Totally. And have I mean, your hope. Yeah, I can't, I mean, you can't fit like red light, this, that, and the ice bath. I mean, my God, some people are like, let me just, I can't do this on my own. It's whether it's square footage or the cost yeah. or both. Um, and I mean, let me, affordable could be relative. Let me underscore, like some services are going to be $15. Some services are going to be $30 for access to uh, red light or PEMF or cold plunge. I mean, we're really trying to make it so that uh, it's right up there with the classes that you take, whether it's uh, yoga, stretch lab, berries. We also want to have a similar price, F45. We want to have a similar price point that's attractive, but for your recovery services so that um, we are pulling down the overall expenditure on what it means to, be healthy, stay well, and get better. Before we go, what would you like, you know, everyone who listens to this podcast, are they healing from something, right? Or they're a trainer or a coach, or they're just into biohacking. Um, I get, yeah, I'm just curious because you've worked with so many clients and, you know, I, I know you're open to, you know, individual diets, right? Some people just, that's their thing. They, they can't eat meat or they don't like to, etc. What are some things you've found? Have you found a thoroughfare with clients where you're like, oh, I found this food to kind of offend a lot of people? Or I, you know what I mean? Are there certain things that you recommend your clients were like, Hey, I mean, I know you're not going to say keep the canola oil in your cupboard. I, I know you'd recommend something different, but is there kind of a thoroughfare that you're like, you know, I see that my clients get effed up a lot on dairy or grains do it. Or there's this one thing that nightshades, or is there anything you've seen over time when people are healing and getting better with you that they've had to take away? And I know everyone's individual, but I'm just wondering if there's a theme there. Uh, there definitely is. It's inflammatory foods. Uh, and that is, no matter where we are individually, whatever's inflammatory to you is going to be antagonistic to most of your recovery efforts. I mean, of course, there's the whole like kinesiology, physiological response to inflammation from when we exercise, but I'm talking about through food. I'm talking about vegetarians who are always eating uh, grains and beans, whatever it is that is creating 
like bloating in their torso and then creating constant low back pain. And uh, whether it's some clients that I've been working with who just want to have less pain, whether it's people trying to optimize their performance with people recovering from injuries, I've noticed when you reduce the inflammation that's created through food, men, people just, uh, their energy, their mood, and their performance and the recovery just really skyrockets. And that's across I mean, the board. I've had, I've had people who, you know, they're like on a good trajectory. They're like, I'm just going to have that shrimp pasta. And then the next day they can't walk because they've got mm-hmm. arthritic, you know, they can't button their shirt. And then, it, they, and then they see. Right? It's so, <laughs> so real. So real. And that, that, to get back to Carl Coffee, that's what the connection was. I would eat some tortilla chips, and the next day, holy crap, my arm would just ache. It would feel like it wanted to fall off. And same thing for clients who are doing so well. Then they go ahead and they're like, oh, well, I cheated. And it's not a program. Same thing for clients who are going through their own process. As soon as they step away from... Uh, eating really well, they really notice the impact that their food or sometimes it's their drinking has on their body. Because uh, when we're ex- exposing ourselves to that kind of inflammation after not, wow, it's going to be more obvious. It's one thing when you're doing it regularly and you don't notice the difference. But when you give yourself a chance to not be as inflamed and to feel better, and then when you return to it, it becomes way more obvious to people who might not have as much body awareness. Awesome. So tell us, I mean, we'll put everything in the show notes. I know you're most active on Instagram and that's, mm-hmm. that handle is at master Jerry Wolf. And we'll put this all in the show notes. Follow Jerry again. Like I said, the cutest dog surfing baby. Well, and it's because of my dogs. Uh, my dog's names are Ninja and Jedi. And so in, you know, that mythology, there's a Ninja master and there's a Jedi master. So that's where I, I got master Jerry Wolf. Um, <laughs> And, and hopefully... It's also the middle name of your daughter, JJ Jedi. Yeah, uh, that's or, right. I'm sorry, Jalen Jedi Wolf. Jalen Jedi Wolf, yeah. Um, Dev had a dream. Um, shout out to my wife for connecting to her intuition. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask you about this. I wasn't sure, but I'm glad yeah. you're going to tell it. Tell it. It's great. Well, I mean, Devin's beautiful and talented for a number of awesome reasons, but uh, one of them most specifically is her intuition. I mean, not just within the you know kitchen and cooking and following in her life, but also with respect to our family. And uh, Dev had a dream one night uh, where our daughter said, introduced herself and said, my name is JJ. And I love that name. I had a dear friend pass away who was the best of us. He was just everything you would want in a friend and cool and funny. And um, of course, my dogs are excited hearing themselves be talked about. Uh, And so I loved hearing that uh, name, JJ. And... um, Devin and I had already been kicking around naming our kids' middle names after our dogs because our dogs are fantastic. They're uh, fantastic. And, I'm in love with them. And so. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, we are really, really lucky many times over that uh, they're in our lives. Um, and so with our dog Jedi, um, when Dev said, yeah, the baby girl said her name was JJ, I was like, well, I know a really good J name. And at that point, we'd only been kind of taking it half seriously to include the dog's names and the middle names. So yeah, that's where we came up with JJ, was uh, with Jedi. So um, other than Instagram, mm-hmm. how should we want to get a hold of you? Because also, let's talk about this. It's it's Corona times, gyms are on, and you've moved your personal training to online in a lot of ways. And I know you're mostly referral only in your Malibu, but now you're sort of opening up because you understand the need. How can people connect with you if we want to reach out and say, hey man, we want to do a Zoom personal training, I want you to help me. Where can we, what's the best way to contact you? Totally. I've actually picked up um, 
clients from out of the area since Corona to work with uh, via video chat, which is something that I've been doing for years with some of my clients when they travel. Um, it's really straightforward. I'm a very accessible guy. The Jerry Wolf at gmail.com is a great way to get in touch with me. And I'm just happy to be a resource for people, um, let alone if there's anything that we can do to work together. Uh, of course, I'm happy to help. Final question, because we are standing in Mark Sisson's house. Mm. We both love him. I mm. know you've known him for years, like I have, and now he's your father-in-law. You've spent, obviously, lots of intimate time with Mark. I know you've learned so much from him, but what are some takeaways from, you know, being Mark's son-in-law or being a part of this family that, you know, you would love to share with us? Wow. Uh, hmm. That's a, a, a great question, uh, because... There are a number of takeaways, and so to really think about the ones that stick out. Um, I think first and foremost, the way that this guy cares for his family. Uh, he's a very busy dude who absolutely takes care of himself and uh, still has a very full life on his own. But the way that he shows up for uh, his wife, his son, his daughter, his in-laws, his brother and sister, um, yeah, it's, it's meaningful and it's heartfelt. And uh, that really... I don't know, there's a little act, like a slice of access that I've been able to enjoy to Mark that I don't know, maybe other people don't get to see, but that really stands out to me because of course he's a hard worker um, and you know, incredibly knowledgeable. His <laughs> It's having a father-in-law is a funny thing, but having an incredibly successful, well-researched uh, world-class athlete father-in-law <laughs> yeah, <that's a> <laughs> who's also like, you know, really charming and wildly charismatic when speaking <laughs> to people publicly is, you know, a funny thing. And so um, I, <laughs> another thing that stands out to me, like, of course, is his work ethic, but um, just the way that he's able to keep it real. Um, there's yeah, this, Okay. I'm so glad you said that. Yeah. I want to just chime in and be like, my favorite thing about him. Well, Again, so many, but I really like his communication is very like mine. You yeah. know what I mean? Like very no shit to the point kind of guy. And you know, you're going to get the straight shot from him. And I like that. Now you, 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 you can't go ask him his opinion if you don't want the truth. Totally. <laughs> you know and, what I mean? and also he can give you his opinion on like some, you know, super intellectual level, but also he can communicate in a way that just seems so like salt of the earth, matter of fact. And I, and I like that kind of ability to uh, operate in different spaces and in different ways so that it's not always um, just stuck in one avenue, but it's, you know, there's a number of different ways to um, benefit from just being around him because he's a, a really remarkable guy. And I think I'm a really lucky young man to be a part of this family. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much for joining us. We're so excited you're doing more reaching, you know, doing more online training for people to access you again. That's the the Jerry Wolf at gmail.com and we'll put everything in the show notes and then also my body bionic uh yeah uh body by bionic.com screw that up body <laughs> by, this we'll put all the things in the show notes but we can go all down good body by bionic.com and you can learn more about the services that we offer and uh when we'll be opening and all that fun stuff what kind of words of encouragement that you can leave us with? with look, you're a personal trainer. You've had to motivate people. And I know that you look, hmm. you've got to want it, right? You, mm -hmm. can, you can't make a person work out and be healthy. But what we're seeing with all the doctors, everyone in the paleoprimal space with Corona, mm -hmm. this big pandemic, one is that higher LDL and a really good cholesterol, solid cholesterol profile is, is positive. And of course, immune health 
what are some things that you would say to people right now in terms of motivation? Like, hey, man, get it together, right? Because that's kind of what I want to feel like right now. Like, I don't want people to be at risk. You can drop that risk so significantly in such a short period of time. What is something you'd throw out there right now? Like, a couple things to people. Like, hey, get it together. Just get it together. Uh, well, from a health perspective, that there'd be one answer. But from a get it together perspective, uh I would encourage people to have perspective. I, I, you know, I saw a great meme that said, you know, your grandparents' generation had to go fight a war. You've been invited to sit on the couch. Uh, I think having some perspective on our struggle and that for the most part, if we're having a chance to sit and listen to a podcast, chances are that there's a lot of people that are having a way worse time through this process. So I think perspective is really going to um, maybe help us step out of like kind of pitying ourselves or, and not to say that we don't need to, totally acknowledge the ways in which we are struggling and need support. Absolutely provide yourself with the support that you need. But I, I think um, some perspective would go a long way to uh, fortifying everyone's character collectively and individually. Um, I'm a big fan of sunlight, as we yes. know from Matthew McConaughey <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and anyone who's met me in the past decade. So uh, I would definitely say that um, get outside. Get outside. Um, both in terms of how it's going to boost your uh, immune system, but also how it's going to um, help combat the virus. Um, and as, as far as immunity, so much of our immunity has to do with our sleep and our stress. And so the ways in which you de-stress or the ways in which you kind of get into your flow state and into your zone, like just day to day throughout your life, I think is super valuable, but that's also a lot easier to do when you're well rested and, um, I mean, hey, as a new father that likes to exercise and is trying to, you know, um, get my first big break, no matter what category it's in, uh, I feel a lot of temptation to work uh, <laughs> a lot and often. Um, but I still, especially with Devin's encouragement, try and make it a priority to, to be well rested. So, um, I mean, essentially, it's perspective of being well rested and, you know, getting outside and Holy hell, I think that's pretty valuable no matter what time of year, what decade we're in. <laughs> that's right. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it was so my pleasure. I'm, I had a fun. I didn't realize we were going to uh, get to have this much fun shooting the breeze. Love it. All right. Well, I'll be seeing you at the beach soon. <laughs> you know it. All right. Bye, everyone. We'll see you next week. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Hey, Primal Blueprint listeners. No dairy in your life? No problem. Primal Kitchen has you covered with our no-dairy vodka sauce made from avocado oil and organic cashew butter so you can ditch the dairy and keep the decadent taste you love. Made without gluten, soy, canola oil, or artificial ingredients, this vegan plant-based sauce is paleo certified. Visit us at primalkitchen.com for more real food options, from dairy-free Alfredo sauce to tomato basil marinara and a whole host of other delicious products the entire family will love. Hi folks, Mark Sisson here. If you found your way to the primal path and want to help others live primally too, then visit primalhealthcoach.com to learn how you can join our mission to help 100 million people reclaim their health and how you can turn your passion for wellness into a profitable health coaching career that you love. The world needs health coaches. The world needs you. So visit primalhealthcoach.com today to learn more.